Um, I'm going to invite you guys to open your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And what's interesting about this passage is that it echoes everything we've been looking at and in terms of Paul's writings to the Ephesians. Okay? And in fact, it's almost like Peter um, just kind of plagiarized what Paul wrote and put it into his document, and yet it's so rich, and of course they were written at, at different times in history. So before we get into the passage, let me ask you a question. If your father is a king, what does that make you? A prince or a princess, okay? And the expectation would be that you would be preparing to become the king or the queen, maybe someday. And if your father, if you were a legitimate or an illegitimate child, which we know from history that there were kings that had sons and daughters outside of the royal family, would they still be princes and princesses? Well, it just depends on who you talk to. And uh, history uh, tells us that we have all kinds of great books and plays that are written and movies about, um, you know, somebody else wanting to be king and, ha and eliminating, right, the whole family and all the intrigue and everything that's going on there. So... Based on that premise, this passage introduces some language that's different from what Paul introduced, and it introduces the idea that you and I are a holy, and in some translations it says royal priesthood. And I want to talk about it. But right now, let's look at the passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is the Word of God. And the Word of God changes things. Changes lives and hearts. Verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, the main idea of this whole sermon and passage is in that sentence there. And what I would like to communicate to you, and I think what God's Word is saying is this. Since... God is good, and we are his children, then we ought to act like it. Since God is good, and we are his children, we ought to act like it. And this passage is going to describe what that looks like. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, remember he's quoting Old Testament because they did not have what we have. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Verse 9, but you... Let me say that again. But you, look at yourself right now. Look in your phone, do a selfie, point it at you. <laughs> but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Join, join with me as, as I pray. Loving Father, um, even though these words are righteous and holy and true and pure with no malice or deceit, even though these words are not difficult to understand, we have a hard time living as a royal priesthood. We have a hard time understanding the concept and all that's involved. So, we, we just need your Holy Spirit to talk to us. We sang and we invited your Spirit to move among us. And for those that are watching online, we pray that your Spirit would move in their living rooms and, or on their phones or in their cars, wherever they might be listening. And we pray for folks all over the world who are listening, that your Spirit would speak to all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so i got to be a teacher for a minute. We need to review. Go back, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we got into chapter 4 as well. And chapter 1 said that we are adopted into the family of God. So, if your father's a king and you're adopted into the family, what does that make you? Well, in a worldly sense... It really doesn't make you in line for secession. In the biblical sense, the adopted son and the adopted daughter are full-fledged members of the family and are royalty. Full-fledged. Nothing is withheld from us as we are adopted into the family of God. And there's that reference to the Gentiles that have come in, and to the Jews. And the Gentiles are the ones that are being adopted into the family. Chapter 2 says 
that because of the power of God, because of the grace of God and the mercy of God, we have become one. The, the animosity, the wall that divides between Jew and Gentile then historically, or Roman or whatever ruler there was at the time, or whatever wall that divides us here in this sanctuary or, or out in the community, in Christ Jesus, that barrier is broken down and we are one. That's what chapter 2 says. Moving into chapter 3, uh, we're reminded that, that we're redeemed, that we've come out of darkness into light, and that's echoed in chapter 2 as well, uh, that God has chosen us, and all of that stuff is reviewed. And then chapter 4 introduces the idea that I want to develop, because chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says that some of us are called to be pastors, some are called to be teachers, some prophets, some evangelists, and you know, there's a list of, of different uh, roles that some in the family play. And we are called into those roles so that we might what? We might prepare God's people for works of service. And that's where it all breaks down. And I've said to you that for years I, I've tried to see that function and, and whether it's my lack of skill as a teacher or or the culture that we're in, or whatever it is, the idea that you as an individual might function as a priest in the house of God is just difficult for us to conceptualize. And it, and it, it makes sense because we have a history of priests, right? who are, in, and we're thinking Roman Catholic Church and Episcopalian Anglicans and, and other groups that have priests and there's a priesthood and it becomes a, a professional priesthood. The Old Testament concept uh, was that there was a special tribe of individuals, the Levites, who function as priests in the sanctuary and in the temple and all of those things. So we have history and history and history. But remember, when Jesus came along, he kind of flipped up the fruit cart. He kind of changed everything and turned everything around. And so you as an individual do not need anyone to intercede for you to the Father. The scripture says that you, you may boldly approach the throne of grace in the name of Jesus. Not on your own authority, but in the name of Jesus. That, that Jesus has taken away not just the dividing wall between each other, but the dividing wall between us and the Father. And so when you cry out to God, God hears your voice. And I don't care who you are, God hears your voice. Now, Peter, in this passage, after all that reminder, says, and I'm going to say what I said to you before, but a little differently. That was kind of harsh what I said before. Therefore, if, if you are all those things, chosen, redeemed, God has done all of these wonderful things for you, adopted and everything into the families, broken down the walls and the barriers. Peter says, since all that is true, God is good. 
And he says, for you and me, we need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to act like it. Now, who are we? So who's the we? Let's look at verse 4. Go back to verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Remember, Jesus Christ, Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now do you see that Jesus was rejected, but chosen by God? He was the anointed one. Similar language. Many of you have been rejected by our culture and society. You're on the outside. But God has chosen to have a relationship with you. Ephesians 1 goes, reminds us that we are chosen to be like Him, to be holy. So, He was rejected, we're rejected, Jesus was chosen, the anointed one, and so we. And verse 5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, spiritual house. We're all part of a spiritual house. What on earth does that mean? Some translations say that, that this spiritual house that we're part of is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some translations say that. Now, we're reminded when Paul writes in other places that your body is what? What is your body? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is your body the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus and, and the Spirit of God lives within you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about abusing the temple in that whole passage. He talks about prostitution and all kinds of other things in that passage. But it's not just that it's an individual thing because he is saying that all of us together are being built into a spiritual house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So individually and collectively, by ourselves and all together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to call us living stones. What on earth does that mean? You know, I heard a guy one time talk about living sacrifices. You put a living sacrifice on the altar and a living sacrifice can climb down. And I really think he climb off the altar, and I guess that's true. But a living stone, what is a living stone? I think what Peter is saying, and, and as he calls us this, is that we are an empowered people. We're not inanimate objects. It's a metaphor that we are alive to God and we are alive to each other as His Spirit empowers us. So as we think about this idea, you know, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, like the preacher, the preacher must be getting lazy and trying to get himself out of doing anything. Because he's telling us that we don't need him, that we have access to God, 
that we have ministry available to us. Go back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where, um, where Paul writes to the, to the Corinthian church, and, and he says that we used to view people in a worldly way, but we no longer do so. In other words, judging people based on their performance. But now we look at people uh, as though they either have Jesus or they don't. And he talks about how in Christ we are a new creation. And that as we are a new creation, we're called to be what for God? Ambassadors for God. And so um, what we do in our culture and society is we hire ambassadors. We hire people to represent us and to represent God. We pay people to be ambassadors for God, just like we're the government. The government hires individuals to be ambassadors, and those individuals learn the languages of the people that they're serving and all those kinds of things. And so we do that uh, as a church as well. But this passage is saying that you and I are an empowered people, that we are living stones. Now, who holds this building all together? Who's the cornerstone? Jesus. When we build buildings, we build a cornerstone, and we put all kinds of things in those cornerstones. They don't function the same way that they did back then. But uh, Wesley and Kristen traveled to Ireland recently, and they took pictures of all kinds of old buildings, you know. And it is amazing how, I mean, there was one, this, this big old, like, dome, but it wasn't big. It was little. It was tiny. It was maybe as big as these two sets of rows together, and it was kind of curved. And, you know, if you pulled out one stone from that little church, what would happen? It would all fall apart. It would collapse. And that's true in some of the buildings that we build today, but we build differently. And so the point is that we are what we are, and we are becoming a temple um, that's an empowered place, a temple of the Spirit of God because of Jesus and Jesus holding it all together. And that's the key. And that's where everyone stumbles. Now, you all, as I know you, are followers of Jesus. This makes sense to you. You know that you've been redeemed. You know that you've been chosen. But there are folks out there who struggle with the idea of who Jesus is. Um, and, you know, I've said um, in the contemporary current culture, people say that there are many roads to God, right? That's what everybody says. There are lots of roads to God. Just pick your road and you'll find God on your road. And when, when, I, when I am in an environment, when, in a secular environment, and I get asked that question, I go, yeah, 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 yeah. There are lots of roads to God. Many roads to God. Many roads to God. And if you are sincerely searching for God, you will find God. But I'll say there are many paths to God. But where do those paths lead? And we get John's concept of the good shepherd. So we get the idea that there's a sheep's pen. There are sheep inside the pen that are being protected and Jesus is what on the sheep's pen? 
He's, he's the shepherd, but he's also the gate. So you might be on a path searching for God, but everyone has to come to terms with who Jesus is. And you have to go through the Jesus gate to get into the pen. And Jesus himself said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so that's who Jesus is. Jesus holds us all together. And there's all kinds of metaphors that we've referenced here in just the last couple of minutes. But he holds it all together. He says, God is good, so grow up, mature, act like it. And then he tells us again in verse 9 what mature people look like. What do mature people look like? But you are a chosen people. Now notice the little twist. Not a holy priesthood, but a, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood has a king as their father, right? And so they're royalty. You are royal. Look at yourself. Do yourself anything again. Do you look royal? You're royal because of what Jesus has done. You are a holy nation. All the believers all over the world are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Well, how can there be so many priests? I can remember um, when I first came um, and we had a, a, an older lady playing piano and somebody new came in that played piano and another person came in and played piano and, and the older lady said, well, how many piano players do we need? She, she felt, she didn't understand that more than one person can play piano. It's like in the NFL, they have running backs and somebody will say, how many good running backs do you need? You know, well, with injuries and stuff, you need a lot of good running backs. There are lots of things that are needed in the family of God. It's not that we have this little closed environment and only one person does that, another person does that, another person does this, and everybody gets permission and all that kind of stuff. There's plenty of room for lots of priests. Okay, He says, look, your role as a priest in this spiritual house is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, I don't have to teach you. I'm glad to teach you how to share the gospel. You know, your life is the gospel. Did Jesus take you from darkness into light? You know, Brian uh, read the scripture at the beginning and I announced that he's going to crown to get his master's and, and to do ministry. Someday Brian's going to preach. And all Brian has to do is tell his story of coming from darkness to light. And lives will be changed because Jesus has radically transformed his life. And, and he'll get an opportunity to tell that story someday. That is what God has done for us. And so we just sing his praises. We People ask us, man, you seem to be this and you seem to be that. Well, that's because I've been pulled out of darkness into light. And, and it's not in my nature to be like this. Now, verse 10 is key. It says, once 
you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. And a favorite line that I love to read from the scriptures, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We were once objects of wrath, but Paul writes, now you are objects of mercy. Now, let me, let me read a, a quote. Um, I wrote something once. I, I have to read something that I wrote, okay? Sorry, but I can't remember it all. Uh, but I, I just want to share this with you. Um, I, as I pastor, I see a lot of hurt. And this is what I wrote. Folks are trying to get along but mercy is so far from us. We are not mercy. When the topic of forgiveness comes up for some reason, we prefer to hold out, seeking vengeance or retribution. I don't know, but I do know this. Seeking retribution by withholding forgiveness or mercy affects us. Anne Lamott says this, Unforgiveness is like us drinking rat poison and asking God to kill the rat. Just let that sink in a little bit. Withholding forgiveness eats at our soul. And then it's too late. The object of our anger is gone, and our chance withers along with our soul. And then this poison seeps into all our other relationships, and we are undone. Mercy is there always but it does not come from us. And so as we look at our lives and examine our lives, and we understand that God is good, then the mercy that's been poured out in our lives, and the fact that we've been chosen and redeemed, and are a royal priesthood, and are a holy nation, and all of those things, call us, to be a people of mercy and a people of grace and a people of love. So let's, let's back up a little bit. I started out and I said, if your father is a king, then you are a prince or princess. Got two princesses and a prince over here, right? We got pretty even princes and princesses. I told this story one time before, but I, I want to remind us because when we go out into the world out there, we don't see a whole lot of princes and princesses, right? In fact, it's kind of the conversation is us and them. And uh, Lyman Coleman, who was a one of the first. Christian leaders to do small groups and offer training to do small groups. Lyman Coleman, um, and I was exposed to this uh, in college through Baptist Campus Ministries, but uh, Lyman Coleman called us 
to be frog kissers. Right? So if you kiss a frog, same metaphor, what does that frog become? The, it, a prince or a princess? Thank you, Brian. You are bound for great things in theological circles. Yeah, when you kiss a frog, you know, a frog becomes a prince or a princess. And back then, he just said prince, but we're in a different world. You know, princes and princesses, it's okay. Now, he challenged us to the idea that we should go around kissing frogs. Frog kissing. Right? So, somebody that doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't look like us, that you see that person and you go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to talk to that. That person should not come to my church. You guys would never say that, but, you know, there are people who think like that. But we are called to kiss frogs. And when we kiss frogs, they become princes and princesses. Not of our own kiss, not by the power of our kiss, not by the experience of our kiss, but rather by the grace and mercy of God. Amen? That's how we become ambassadors. So we no longer go out into the community as royal priests. We don't go out in the community and say, I am a royal priest or priestess. Donna's she's dancing. She's shaking her head. He's dancing. <laughs> we don't go out and say, don't talk to me like that. I'm a priest in the kingdom of God. No, we go out in the community humbled that we're chosen by God, humbled that we're part of a holy nation, humbled that we are princes and princesses in a royal priesthood, and we go out in the community and say, you know what, this is what I used to be. I once was blind, but now I see. I was once in darkness, but now I'm in light. Can I just tell you, about how that happened in my life. See the difference? You weren't chosen. You weren't included because there was anything special about you. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, not many of you were wise by human standards, right? Not many of you, and he goes on to describe basically a people who have a relationship with God who are folks, we, we lived on the other side of the tracks in terms of the kingdom of God as Gentiles. But God has built bridges over those tracks and we are now part of the family of God. You are not part of the family because you are special. You are part of the family because Jesus was holy and died on the cross for you that you might have life everlasting. And as you receive that gift of eternal life, He will radically transform your life. So, you're into kissing frogs. Frogs can be dangerous. We can eat frogs, right? Y'all, we've had this conversation. You can eat frogs. You know, some frogs are poisonous. 
Right? You, you kiss a poisonous frog, you're going to die. But Jesus kissed a lot of poisonous frogs. And they crucified him. And so he picked up his cross and he went and was crucified. And that's when the scripture says we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. May we be like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. And the worship team will come and lead us in, in a final song. And reminder, we'll have communion next week and as we gather together. And maybe next week everybody will be back from uh, vacation and, and all. Next week our, our worship team will be um, the three amigos will be leading in worship next week. So we'll let you know who, who they are. But let's pray together, okay? Loving Father. Your grace and mercy are so awesome and powerful in our lives. We are not by nature merciful, but you are. And so we rely completely on your mercy. Help us to be ambassadors of that mercy as a royal priesthood as we go out into the community. We thank you and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.